since I've been up here since Hannah. So, and last time I was up here, I cried. So really looking forward to this morning. I was like, because I was, we were chatting last night, and Peter was like, well, I can't come up this time, I'll have Hannah. And I was like, well, I have no intention of crying this time. So hopefully it will be grand this morning. Uh, do you remember when Peter got up and told you all to wise up and come up and pray? That was fun. Uh, it was, but it worked. So hopefully today there'll be no tears and we're all, we're all calm and everything else. Also, it's a chance to be child-free for half an hour, so take advantage when you get up. Uh, so we are looking today at Joshua 2. We're doing the series Set Apart. And it's been a very different experience this time trying to prepare a sermon with a baby. Uh, so usually I am someone who likes a few days of a block to really blitz it and look at it and read books and um, have, listen to podcasts. And then when you have a five-month-old, it just doesn't quite happen. You just don't have that sort of time. So this time, I'm re- I, a big one for being prepared and having time or else I'll just feel really nervous. So actually... It's been a different way of preparing. I've almost read in the passage every day since John said, I think it was a couple of months ago, we're reading passages each day and just going over and over and over again and reading it again and reading it again. And actually, it has been a really, it's a totally different way for me of preparing, but actually a really useful way because, and I even just would print out the passage in black and white and be like, right, circle words, what's standing out? Um, and it's mad how just God speaks to you in a different way the next week. Even though you've read it about 20 times before, but I will actually have missed that. And it's that idea of digesting God's word and looking through God's word and slowing down and taking it in and um, that there's such value. In. And we are very much a culture of skimmers. We do it on our phones. We go through Facebook, we skim, skim, skim. We look through social media, skim, skim, skim. And we actually, without realizing, can do that with the Bible as well. We just skim, skim, skim. And we say, why is God not speaking to me? Why um, am I not actually learning anything from this today? But we need to slow down. We need to take it in, even if it's only two or three verses, and we actually say, well, what words are sticking out, or what is God saying in this? And it's actually really valuable. So I really encourage you to do that, to take a passage, to slow it down, to read it day in, day out, and see what God speaks to you through it. So we'll see. (laughs) This has been a different way of preparing. It could fall flat, or it could be fine. We'll soon see. Sure, we're in there. We're amongst friends. Um, So I'm going to read through Joshua 2. I'm going to look very much, this is a story about Rahab and the spies. And I want to look at the spies and their attitude, the two spies that were sent in, and then I want to look at the attitude of Rahab um, and how they were both um, set apart. Uh, So I'm just gonna read small parts of the passage, different points, and then maybe talk through uh, parts of it. So it's Joshua 2, if you have your Bibles and if you're looking through it. Speaking of skimming, can I just point out that we sit at the back, so when I see people skimming during the sermon through Facebook, and I see you on your phone, I'll know. <laughs> so there you go. No, no pressure, but I'll see it. Uh, so Joshua 2, you're allowed to look at your Bible on your phone. That's fine. So it says, verse 1, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies. This is like I'm saying a bad word, but I'm not from Shittim. But uh, like it does feel like you're saying a bad word, but obviously you're not. It's in the Bible. And it says, uh, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So what I want to look at is the spies. So there's two spies this time. The other passage, this isn't the first time this has happened. In Numbers 13, Moses sent spies the first time. Uh, He sent 12. So God had asked him to do that. God had asked him to send 12 spies into the land and to spy it out. However, that obviously didn't go very well. So they went out, came back with a report that this is a huge land. Um, The 
there are lots of great things in the land, but they are far bigger than us. We will never beat them, sort of thing. Um, whereas Joshua, I want to look at then how this story in Joshua 2 is different from the story in Numbers 13. And the very first thing is in Numbers 13, um, very publicly Moses sent 12. They came back and the report went public. The report went everywhere to everybody. Uh, and it just negativity was bred throughout the, the land really with it. Whereas this time Joshua only sends two and secretly does it. And I just want to look at different parts of it. Um, the first thing I noticed whenever it was how contagious negativity is. So whenever you look at Numbers 13, it was the negativity that spread. The 12 went and they spoke to different people and it went throughout the land that actually we can't do this. Um, and the thing that you remember is you remember Joshua and you remember Caleb, but do you, does anybody remember the name of the other 10? Uh, the negative, the people who went out to the land and came back and said, we can't do it. You never remember the critics. The people who are remembered are the people who, are, who dream and who believe that God can actually do what he is saying he is going to do. And it's also even a reminder of what do we surround ourselves with? Do we surround ourselves with negativity? Do we surround ourselves with people who speak negatively and um, with pessimism and just, or do we surround ourselves with dreamers and vision and good things? Because there's a difference to how these two stories end based on people's attitudes. And actually as well, they're negative, even though they've just come out of Egypt, they've just seen God move, God part the Red Sea and they're negative and they're, they're not believing that God can do what he will say. And yet these two spies have just had 40 years in the wilderness and they're saying God can do this. I find that really interesting that you, people who have seen miracles don't believe what God will do next and yet two people who have lived in the wilderness and haven't seen God move in the same way, have still seen him move but not in the same way, actually believe um, that he is going to do what he said he's going to do. And their report and what these 12 said in Numbers 13 dictated then what happened next. So because the report was negative and because that infiltrated throughout the tribes, throughout the people, then they said no. They said they didn't want to go. They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb and they didn't want to go into the land. And so God didn't let them. Whereas, so their report dictated their action. Whereas what I find really inter interesting is in Joshua 1, Verse 11, Joshua already says to all the people, we're going into this land and we're going to take possession. And then he sends the two. So it doesn't matter really what they come back with. Actually, they're doing it. Joshua's saying, this is what God has said we're going to do. We're going to do it. And he's been discerning and he's been wise and he's seeing what is ahead. But he's saying, no matter what, God has told us to do this, so we're going to do it. Whereas when in Moses' time, the people then dictated that that wouldn't happen. Um, and actually, the fear of going into that land really skews our truth and exaggerates what's going on because there's a verse that says about um, in Numbers that we're grasshoppers and they think that too. And when you look later in Joshua 2, Rahab even says, we have been terrified of you. We have heard what God has done. We have, uh, that enemy actually had more faith than the people going in into the land. We have heard what God has done. So actually they believed they were grasshoppers. They were wrong. The people were terrified. So if they had known that and if they had gone into the land, imagine what wouldn't have been wasted, what 40 years wouldn't have gone. Uh, it just, that fear that they had and that lack of belief in what God could do just totally skewed the truth. They were still in that very much slavery 
mentality. So they brought home in Numbers 13, Moses had said to them, bring back um, the, great, like the fruit and the whatever things you can find in the land. And whenever they brought up back all these things, like I think it was grapes and things like that, um, and they were brilliant. It wasn't like grapes that were too heavy to carry or they needed two men or something to carry as well. It's like, what sort of grapes are these? Um, but that belief that almost this is too good to be true, that we see all these good things, it's too good. That slavery mentality of God can't have good for us. And I think even now as Christians, whenever we hear a lot of talks from the front, anywhere, any podcast you listen to, sometimes we can have a very much suffering mentality of um, we're always going through trials. And it, we, 100%, we live on earth, we live on a fallen planet, we will always have things going on, but we will also have joy. We will also have good things, and we will also have blessing. And we can think that we are almost always in a trial, going into a trial, fear of what's next. And there's times I find myself when actually you're really happy and you're really blessed and you think, God must have something bad for me next because I must be in, the, there has to be a trial of some form because almost that, and I 100% believe that God uses the things we go for to shape us if we let him, um, for our character to be formed. Um, I, we, will, we will go through trials and we will go through suffering um, because that is part of living on this planet, but I also believe that God is a God of good things. And ha that is probably the thing that I felt strongest about this morning is that there are probably people in this room who have that suffering mentality and lost the belief that God is good, that actually God wants to bless, God wants to do good things, that if you're happy and you're, and you're grateful, enjoy it and, and believe that God wants good things for you. And there's a verse in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 23 and 24, and it says, he brought us out of Egypt so that he could give us this land he had sworn to give our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. He brought us out of Egypt so that he could give us this land, so that he could bless us. So it wasn't that they had all those trials, but now God is saying, here is a time of good. Here is a time of blessing. And it says in Psalm 81:10, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. So God actually can bring us out of trials and wants God is a God who wants good things for us. He says in the Bible, ask and it shall be given to you. He says in the Bible, who gives his child a scorpion whenever, or if a child asks for something, who does that? But how much more does God want to give good things to his children? And it's how we move out of that suffering mentality to the belief that God is good. Yes, there are things that will go on in this life that harm and hurt, but there are also things that are to bring joy and we're to enjoy um, and believe that God actually wants that for us. Um, so I want to, it's that other side of it too, of Jeremiah, there's a verse in Jeremiah 17, and there's, God brings all this good and God brings, but it comes with as well obedience and trusting him and doing as he has asked us to do. So why, when you think of all the people of Israel could have had that promised land 40 years earlier if they had just trusted God. Uh, and it says in Jeremiah chapter 17, through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. And it goes on in verse six, they will not see prosperity when it comes. So actually when we disobey God and when we don't believe in what he's saying, you miss the blessing. You actually don't even see it. Uh, it can pass you by. And it says in verse seven, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And that was Rahab. Rahab trusted in God, trusted that he had good things for her. 
So I heard um, a story of two astronauts, had to write it down because I couldn't remember the names. Um, and the two, it's, so that idea of the two perspectives, so you've got Numbers 13 and that attitude of this is too big, it's too good, God can't do it. And then you've got Joshua 2 where he says, we're going to stand, we're going to go, uh, and we're going to believe God has this for us. And there was two astronauts who, where it was like a race to get to space and to circle the Earth. And one of them was a Russian astronaut who got there first, called Yuri Gregarin or something. Uh, is, it, is that person known? known? Remember the last time I was up here and said about somebody and everybody else knew it? What? Yeah, he was the last one. Yeah, this boy, I don't know who this boy is either, but apparently he went up into space. Now, I have Googled this and researched this, but if it's wrong, blame Google. Um, so he is the first man, apparently, to circle the Earth for people who aren't in this space. Um, <laughs> like me. A Russian astronaut, apparently. But what was interesting about his uh, attitude was he's, he was very much, I, I am an eagle, I searched the heavens, and I find no God, there is no God. So he went up and said, wow, look at me. I am here, I am an eagle, there is no God. Whereas a few months later then, John Glenn, has people heard of John Glenn too? Have you? <laughs> oh dear. Well, well. Um, so he circled the earth and said, his view was very different. He said, I saw God everywhere. To look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God is to me impossible. So here's two people who have gone. See, there was a point to that. It's not just that I don't know who they are. <laughs> so here's one person has gone and said, there's no God, I am number one, which I would say he slightly regretted that attitude later. Um, and then here is another man who's came a few months later and said, how could you not believe in God when you see this? And look at the attitudes then as well of the Israelites in Numbers and Joshua, who received more blessing, who received the goodness of God, the people of Joshua, um, because they believed uh, in what he could do. And I want to look then, so that about the spies, I want to then look at Rahab and her attitude to it all. Um, so I'm going to go on a wee bit more. So the story of Rahab anyway, so the spies have come, they've come to her house, they've come to spy out the land, um, Rahab has then kept them safe because the king has come looking for them, uh, knowing that they've come to spy out the land and she has said they're not here, even though she'd actually hid them. And it goes down then... Um, to verse, I'm going to go from verse, go around here, eight. So before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. So not grasshoppers. Nobody sees them as grasshoppers. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. I also love how she's reminding them of what God's done for them even though she has only heard about it. Uh, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab is declaring who God is. Rahab has more faith than many of the Israelites because she's saying, I know God did this. I know it wasn't man. I know it was God. So she says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. 
If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. I love that word, when they believe we're going to be having this land as well. So there's a couple of things probably in this story that you wonder when you're reading through it. First of all, why did they go to a house of a prostitute? It was probably one of my first questions of all places to go. Um, and from looking into it, so part of it, people believe that that would be where a lot of travelers go. Um, it's a very easy place to be anonymous. Um, so it, you wouldn't be known in the same way. She also lived on the city walls, so there was a way to escape maybe quicker. Um, what I believe is that if out of all the people in Jericho, they ended up with the one believer. I think it was pretty much God. Um, because if they had gone to anybody else's house, they wouldn't have had the same grace um, and saved them in the same way that Rahab was. So why did they end up there? Because God knew Rahab believed, um, would be what I see it as. There's also the issue of her lying. So I know a lot of people would think, well, hold on, she told a lie. Is that not that's breaking the commandments? It's considered wrong. Uh, I, I don't really know. Was that one of her different things? Um, one person said about, I suppose, what they were, the king was looking to do wasn't in line with God's law. And actually, God's law is first, and then other, other laws after, um, which I thought was probably a good, good way of looking at it. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, because whenever you look back at, in Numbers, whenever the people of God are near and on the border, just looking around at how young the audience is, because I'm going to say the word sex. Uh, <laughs> I think we're okay. Hannah's too young to know any of this. Uh, so basically, whenever they are on the border before, in Numbers 25, um, what happens when there's Moabite women there is the men basically go have a good time, and uh, but then get caught up in it all and disobey God and follow their idols. Whereas I find it really interesting that here is people who have come along and have come to a house where there is sex, but have said that's not even on. That's not even in the equation. They're, they're in a different place, these people. They're here to see what God wants. They're not here for anything else that actually this is now reclaiming a place of faith and saying that that's not what we're about. That's not, it's not even a temptation. It's not even mentioned, um, which I love that how far almost the people of God have come. It was just a wee aside that I kind of, oh, that's good. We're coming on. Um, but yeah, a few things then about Rahab uh, and then I'll stop. So I... I think it's amazing that Rahab had a better understanding of faith than the Israelites. That actually she said, I know God did it. I know he's going to do it again. Uh, I know that you're going to take this land. And there's no fear in that. Whereas the Israelites, and she had a better understanding of even grace. So when she comes with such boldness and says, I want you to protect my family, she has a better understanding of even what grace is. That actually the belief that they could, that God could do something good no matter what her past is or what has happened before. Um, God could do good things. And that is the thing that stood out most for me with Rahab is Rahab is her boldness to ask, what if she hadn't? Her family could have been destroyed. What if she hadn't said, I want my family saved? And I wonder how often we don't ask uh, and it says in the Bible, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. How often do we hide our heart's desire? And maybe it's linked to that previous, what I've said about God can't want good things for me or else maybe we've asked for something before and it hasn't happened and we're hurt and we've maybe stopped talking to God. We've maybe just put that boundary up. But if Rahab hadn't asked, what would have happened? And when you look at Rahab's life, 
she's in the genealogy of Christ. Whenever you look at Matthew 1, um, she goes on to have Boaz, who is one of the most God-honoring men of integrity, who she brought up. She brought up Boaz to honor Ruth, um, which you can read the story of there, but who, who cared for the poor, who had compassion. That was Rahab. Well, what would have happened if she hadn't asked? And I wonder if there's people in this room that are afraid to ask, that have almost maybe been hurt before and have stopped asking, have actually even just stopped talking to God out of fear of what he could do. Um, and that's what I want to pray for today is that boldness to say, do you know what, God, I want this. And it, yeah, it has to be in line with what he wants and it has to be in line with God's will and, and of, of good things. Um, but God has said that he is a loving father. He's a loving father who wants to give good things to his children. And it's be, Rahab claims her freedom through that and her boldness to ask. She believed when she was surrounded by unbelief. Rahab lived in Jericho where nobody believed. Rahab was not brought up um, hearing the stories of old like the Israelites were. Uh, Rahab just heard what God had done uh, with the Red Sea. I love that she didn't let Jericho dictate who she was or what she believed that she was the only one and she still stood. She trusted a God who she had only heard about despite what her current circumstances were telling her, um, despite what was going on. And later it talks about, so whenever the spies agreed to this and agreed to save her family, they said about putting a scarlet cord outside of her window. And they said to do it whenever they come back to enter the land. She put it out as soon as they left, uh, which I love because she's saying, do you know what? I'm standing on the promise now. I'm not waiting until you come back then. I'm believing that God's going to do it now. Uh, and, and I'm going to stand on it. No matter when it happens, I believe in God enough uh, to stand on it now. And the spies, so despite Rahab's past and whatever went on, the spies, when they came back, didn't give this detailed report to Joshua, which whenever you look at the report that they gave to Moses, the 12 spies, it was full of detail and he wanted loads of detail and wanted them to, like Moses wanted to find out who was in the land, what size were they, what was in the land, what were the crops like. Joshua said, go and look, go and look in Jericho and, and come back and tell me. And it just is, basically the report is, in the very last verse, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Whose words were those? Rahab's. Rahab's testimony and Rahab's words had value. In fact, Rahab's words were the reason that they went into the land because they were valued so much. It doesn't matter what she did before. It doesn't matter what came before. They stood on her testimony. And sometimes we can get caught up in details. We want to know all the details. And actually, details sometimes aren't good. When you look at the story in Numbers, uh, when they got all the details, it brought panic. When you look here, they didn't go any further than Rahab's house. They just went to her house and then left. Um, and actually, it was a very simple report because God's given us this land and sometimes we just don't, we want to know the details, but sometimes it's not good for us to know everything. And um, we just need to know that God has given us whatever it is. He has promised to understand on that. So I want to pray. Probably the thing whenever... Um, I was praying over this. And I also wanted it because I was wondering, oh, do I give an update? So obviously the last time, tears, 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 pregnant, didn't want to do it. Uh, have the baby, not like I love her, but uh, just the thought of the birth. Um, to give you all, because I really appreciate that this is a family. And I can't even begin to tell you, as soon as I got off that stage, the amount of people who prayed for me, who came and cried with me, 
who then, when Hannah was born, rang to check in and check we were okay uh, and texted. And I can't thank you enough for being a family that supports and loves us. And um, that the minute we came in, the amount of hugs we got, and we're like, is she okay? Yes, I am. Um, and Hannah's birth. So for me to do, for me, the whole birth and everything else was where the trauma was. And that's, I'm fine to talk about that, not on a public platform, but I am fine to talk to that to anybody if anybody wants to, just so in case people want to talk about that. Um, so that's where trauma and everything laid. And I went through counselling and everything else before I had Hannah to make sure that I was in the right frame of mind before having her. And Hannah's birth was very much a story of redemption. It was very much a story of, I boldly asked God that I didn't want it to be the same as the last time and asking in the way Ray had done. And I remember driving. So whenever Isaac was born, I remember, we didn't have a name for him and I remember praying and God gave me the word laughter, um, which means Isaac. Now, if anyone's met Isaac, He's, it was a very serious baby. Like he didn't, I'm not sure laughter. Now, whenever he's in the house, he's full of beans like, but he would have worked hard to get a smile off him whenever he was first born. But he is, but like he is a wee joy. Like Isaac is the most laid, he was just laid back, chilled, most balanced, and he still is. And he's full of beans now. And I remember driving and I was like, I actually, I had the name Hannah and I'd never really prayed about what a meaning for her, even though I'd prayed for Isaac. It makes me sound really holy, doesn't it? praying for uh, meanings for my kid. It's not that holy. Um, and I got the word promise, the promise that this would be different, the promise that her story would not be the same for me as Isaac's was, and Beth means promise. So that's what Hannah's middle name is. Um, I liked Beth, but obviously just loved Hannah as well. So Hannah means favor and Beth means promise, the promise that actually I believed God said, this will be different for you. And because we had actually booked a C-section with Hannah before, and then Hannah decided to come herself beforehand. In fact, we were in the Delasses house and I started to get like pains and I was like, please don't let my waters break whenever I'm in the Delasses house. And I remember John Lockery saying to me after, I thought your breathing was going a bit weird. And I was like, if you were having contractions, your breathing would go a bit weird as well, John. Um, but yeah, thankfully she didn't. We, she waited until a day or two after. Um, but Hannah's birth was great. Hannah's birth was straightforward. There was not one bit of trauma attached to hers. Uh, and I remember being able on the day, night she was born, to get up to hold her, and I just knew this is a different story. And it was one of healing as she cries. Uh, but so I want to thank you, and I want to share that because last time I cried, but this is a story of celebration this time, and the belief that's not when you ask God. It, I'm not saying when we always ask God for things that he always gives them to us, I'm not. Um, but I'm saying he's a God who's a father who loves us and wants to give us good things uh, and wants. So I wonder if there's things that you've been afraid to ask him for. And so those are the two things I want to really pray for is asking God, the boldness to ask, what have you not talked to him about for a while? Um, what is it that maybe dreams that you've put down but actually that you want to bring forward now. And also that idea, I wonder, is there people who have that slave suffering mentality that God does not want to do good things, that I, I'm always going to be suffering in some shape or form, and actually to, for God to restore the belief for joy and for good things um, and to bring, release that fear of when you're in a good time that, he's going to, that there's going to be bad around the corner. No, to actually just be grateful and enjoy the good when it's there. Um, so I'm... Want to pray? There will be people here if you want to pray. You don't have to come up for prayer to do with this. If you want to pray for anything, like anything that's going on during the week or anything, or if you want to pray for anything, I've said um, 
if any of the stuff I've talked about with Hannah or Isaac and you want to talk more personally, I would be delighted to. It's just not something probably from a public platform that I will give lots of detail to, and which all the men will be delighted about. Um, but yeah, so I'd like to pray. And if you would like prayer, there'll be people at the front who would love to pray, pray with you as well. So let's pray. And I want to leave a minute actually for you to think about what do you want to ask God for? What have you, what have you not talked to him about for a while? What do you need boldness and courage to bring up now? So I'm going to leave a minute. And I want you to ask him now, what is going on in your heart's desire? What do you need boldness and courage to ask for? Or what is it that you actually need healing for when you've asked him for something and he hasn't brought it? Father God, we bring before you now our heart's desires. If we haven't talked to you in a while, we talk to you now. I pray for the boldness and courage of Rahab to ask for good things. I pray for dreams to be reawakened, for hope to be restored, for a belief for good things. Father God, I pray for a breaking off of that mentality of suffering and that we always have to be in pain, that you would wish that on us. Lord God, I pray against that. I pray against that fear of happiness, almost. That fear that God might actually want good for me, um, but not allowing ourselves to feel that. And Father God, I pray for an outbreaking of happiness and joy, that we would celebrate good that we would look for good, that we would remember that you are a loving father who says that you love us, that you want good things for us, that you bring us out of slavery and out of Egypt so that you can give us this new land, so that you can give us blessing, that that is the God who we serve. Father God, protect us, that we would have the attitude of the spies in Joshua 2 and not the spies in Numbers. Protect our minds that we stay away from negativity, away from criticism, but Father God, that you would protect us and give us hope and vision to believe and faith to believe that you, what you have said will pass, to stand in faith on what you have said, on the promises that you have given. Father God, I thank you that we are a family here, that we journey life together. Uh, that we work through things together, that we support each other, and may that never change, Father God. May we, you just continue to increase the family in this room as we look out for each other. And I just pray, um, I just thank you that you're the head of this family, that you're the father, you're the good father, the loving father, um, under whom we all serve. Amen.